0: please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Rodney is going to be preaching for the next uh, weeks in July and rather than starting giving an introduction to Revelation 20 and then waiting for a few weeks uh, I thought I would break it up. Exodus 13 verses 17 through 22. Then it came to pass When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth, and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we dig into it, that our hearts would conform to your will. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives as it is in heaven. Uh, Be glorified, Father, as we continue to worship you in response to your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. When Kathy and I were in the apartment for six months, we were constantly looking for houses and it was disappointing in some ways to see house after house. It seemed like over a hundred houses that did not fit one criteria or another that we had for ministry. I think the, the Simmons can relate to that. Uh, they've been looking for quite some time. But we would spend time in thanksgiving after each house did not work out, thanking the Lord that he was indeed guiding us because this was a no answer. We say, okay, thank you, Lord. That's not the way you want to us to go. So we would thank him for that, but there were times where we missed a house that seemed absolutely perfect for our ministry, but by the time we got there, it had only been on the market for two hours or three hours, and it was gone, just like that. But we would thank him for that as well, realizing, okay, this is another one of God's answers to prayers. In fact, I think one of the reasons that it took six months for us to find a house is that God knew <laughs> we needed uh, that time of recuperation. Uh, just ask Kathy, she'll tell you. It was a time of regrouping for us. Anyway, in all of our driving around in a 45-minute radius, uh, we would, from time to time, come across detours that would slow us down. And anytime I get slowed down, it's been a habit of my life for many years, I, I would look at the faces of people in the other cars that are around us you can tell a lot about people by how they react to frustrations in traffic and um, I used to be that way I used to uh, I'm such a driven person I want to get there now I want to get there quickly it's one of the reasons why I'm very thankful for cruise control on the freeway or I'd be picked up by the cops you know but I'm a driven personality, and uh, I, I like to uh, get there very, very quickly. But I have come over time to realize that God's detours, flat tires, all of these different slowdowns are actually a part of God's divine guidance in my life. Now, this morning, i want to look at how you ought to face God's detours. And every one of you faces detours. I mean, the Simmons have faced detours, and they're looking for a house. Uh, The Lanes have faced detour after detour in their restaurant plans, right? Um, uh, The uh, Simmons actually this past week faced a detour. They had to postpone their chemotherapy because uh, of flu in the house. And some of you have had disappointments. You've had plans that are perfectly good plans in God's uh, uh, general uh, word, they're good plans to be seeking, but for some reason or another, God's put a monkey wrench into uh, into the gears, and you've not be, been able to achieve those plans. And as I went through name after name, going down through our directory, uh, we elders tried to pray for all of our, our our people. I was recognizing almost every one of the families has detours. That God has put into their lives. I can sort of see why Donna Dykstra wanted me to re-preach this sermon. She talked with some of the women folk when we were down in Texas. And uh, next Sunday she said, would you preach that sermon up here? I was actually not planning on doing so. But she said, hey, the people needed it just as much as the people in Texas needed it. So uh, it worked into God's plans and we're going to do that. So how does God want you to react to the detours of life? What is he teaching you? I am firmly convinced that if you do not respond to these detours in the fear of the Lord, they are not going to benefit you. He's going to have to retake you through some of these lessons again. Psalm 25 verse 12 says, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. So this morning we're going to look at the subject of those frustrating detours and hopefully by the end of the sermon you're going to be committed to thanking God for those detours instead of getting frustrated over them. In this passage we see that God did not lead Israel by the shortest possible route to the land of Canaan. Everybody acknowledges that. There were four routes and there were three that were much faster than the route that they went on. Uh, If they'd gone by the shortest route, it would have taken them about 11 days to get there, but it took them months in this long circuitous route to get to the land of Canaan. We're going to be looking at why it was that God did this by looking at his guidance and at his purposes in the detours. Now, point one says that those frustrating detours are indeed God's perfect guidance. God's guidance can be seen very simply and plainly in the phrase in verse 18 that says, God led the people around. And verses 21 through 22 show exactly how he led the people. Uh, You know, in your bulletins, I put a picture of how one person pictured the cloud. I picture that fiery uh, cloud at night, and it looked like a regular white cloud during the day. I picture it much broader than what's in your picture. But whatever the case Uh, that cloud, anytime it would pick up and start moving forward, the people would say, oh, God wants to move. They would pack up their tents and they would march after the cloud. And they might wander for you know several days and then it would park and give them a rest and they would wait there until the cloud would move. It's a very, very simple way of guidance. Some people wish that they could be guided that way today. It's actually a sign of immaturity uh, when you need that. But uh, it was not the way that God had uh, always uh, guided them. Um, I'm convinced that if they had followed the cloud, because a little bit later in the story, if you look in the next chapter, the cloud went out over the sea. Previously it had been between them and the, the Egyptians who were chasing them. It went out over the sea, and nobody followed. Well... I mean, you can sort of see why. I mean, what's the Lord doing going out over the sea? I'm convinced that if they had followed the cloud, just as 40 years later, the moment their feet touched the Jordan waters and the waters parted, the waters would have parted in the sea. But to accommodate their lack of faith, God had uh, Moses pre-part the waters so that they could go through. But in any case, this was God's form of guidance. He led them by a cloud. Now, I'm here to tell you that determining God's guidance is always possible, even now in our lives. Now, God's going to do it differently than he did with those Israelites, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, This was very unique. It was just during those 40 years that he guided them with that pillar. The moment they went into the land of Canaan, he stopped appearing with that uh, pillar of cloud and he guided them in different ways, the same kind of ways that he guides us today. But God guides us just as surely today by means of Scripture and by means of His providences. So guidance is possible, and yet we need to qualify that statement. Only believers are led by God. Remember that the people of Israel were God's people, that He had just finished redeeming them from Egypt, at least corporately. In chapter 12, they had by faith put the blood of the Passover on uh, to their houses, and in chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength. So his guidance came to a redeemed people. You have led them for, led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength. Now, the Egyptians did not have that privilege. God was orchestrating every detail of the Egyptians' lives, just as surely as he was of the Israelites' lives. But the Scripture denies that God led or guided the Egyptians. So if you're an unbeliever, you don't need to worry about God detours in life. You're not even on the pathway. He doesn't have anything to do with guiding your life. It's only those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who find that He guides them day by day and works all things together for their good. Let me uh, give you a, a verse just in case you doubt that God guides you. Uh, it's Romans 8, verse 15. It says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now that phrase, as many, dot, 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 are, means that there is 100%, that's as many, there is 100% that equals, that's the word are, between the two phrases there's an equal sign between those two phrases if a equals b then b equals a so all sons are led by the spirit and if you are not led by the spirit you are not a son of god period that's what it means all children are led so this is a privilege that all true believers have at some point in their lives and there's a second qualification for guidance god's guidance only benefits those who are ruled by god God led his people, and his people followed. So there was a willingness to be led, at least for a while. They did follow the cloud, right? But periodically in the wilderness, the people rebelled against God, and God had to chasten them to give them a learning spirit. God exhorts his people in uh, Psalm 32, verses 8 through 9, to follow rather than having to be dragged around like a horse or mule. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. So he's basically saying, don't make God put a bit and bridle in your mouth and be dragging you around like a mule. He says, be willing to follow, you know, submit to his guidance. Uh, uh, He's putting you through training. You need to submit to it. Now, one other qualification that could be added is that God loves it. When his children not only submit, but they submit with their whole hearts. They submit cheerfully, restfully in him. Okay, it is no fun to have a child who obeys you, who submits, but does so glaring. You know, maybe stomping the feet. You know, expressing their dissatisfaction with having to submit. That's no fun at all. It shows a bad heart. Uh, When these people went into the wilderness, they had to trust God completely to provide for them, to protect them and to care for them in absolutely everything that they did. Yes, they were slowed down, and for those of us who are very driven like I am, that can be frustrating. As I told you before, I'm a very, very driven person. But God has had to teach me that relationship with Him is much more important than service. Does God really need the service of Phil Kaiser? Well, I like to think that he needs it, but the answer really is no. He could do it in an instant. The only reason he allows us to serve is for our benefit. He's, he's allowing us to serve so that we grow into his likeness. He does not need us. I have to learn that how we get there is even more important than when we get there, or even that we get there. Now, on most of the things God calls us to, we are going to get there, but uh, how we get there is important, too. He has all the time in the world, and He is more interested in our growth in Him than in how much we produce. He's more interested in our holiness than He is in our comfort. And it's taken me a while to come to the place where I trust that God's purposes are perfect in my life, even when I get interruptions and things that I am driven to do. Now, one caveat on this promise that God guides His people is that God will not give guidance to those who are double-minded. In other words, to those who say, ah, before I commit to following God, I want to know what it is he wants me to do. I want to know where it is he's telling me to to follow. No, God guides those who gladly rest in his will. The rest of his children he drags, okay, like that mule that's in your pictures there. He doesn't guide with the reins, and it's no fun to be dragged. So God's guidance is definitely possible to those who are believers who willingly and restfully are following Him, and that's when life gets downright exciting. But guidance is not only possible for us, but guidance is progressive. The Israelites didn't always know what was coming up ahead for them. They didn't need to know. They probably wouldn't have wanted to know what was coming up. They would have freaked out. If I knew at age 30 all of the things God was going to put me through in the ministry, I might have uh, thought, Hmm, I don't think the ministry is for me. Of course, you can't run away from God's call very long, can you? But... But uh, God knows just how much to reveal, and he revealed to them only what they needed to know. If they knew too much, they would not have been prepared for it. But step by step, God prepared them for what was ahead. I want you to remember, when you look at this pillar of cloud, that this pillar of cloud did not lead them a week in advance, a year in advance, 20 years in advance. It led them step at a time. And that's true for us as well. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You get that? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And one other implication of that is if you're not stepping into his guidance, if you're not walking in his guidance that he has previously given, why would he give you more? You know, if 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 God has already been shining a flashlight on the pathway, say, "Oh, here, Phil, I'll show you the way." And he's going down the pathway, and I'm a little bit timid. I'm way back here. Eventually, he's going to be so far out ahead, I'm not going to see any light, and then I complain, "Lord, how come you're not guiding me?" You know, if these Israelites had seen the cloud pick up and move forward, and they were a little bit lazy, they didn't pack up their tents to follow you know, two or three days down the road, they wouldn't be able to complain to the Lord, hey, Lord, how come you're not leading me? Could you show me what I'm supposed to do today? What's he going to say? Well, repent and catch up with the rest of the Israelites. You know, I've already shown you the way uh, that is ahead. So um, it is as we are walking in obedience to what we know from his word that he gives further insight and guidance. Now, we don't need to know what he's going to lead us into 20 years from now. In fact, James says when we're making long term plans and even short term plans, we always ought to be saying, as the Lord wills. You know, in the old letters you probably read in some of the books, DV, you've probably wondered, what is that DV that keeps appearing all through that book? It's the Latin for Lord willing, Deo Valente, Lord willing. That ought to be a habit in our lives. So, guidance is possible. Second, guidance is progressive. Third, guidance is sometimes perplexing. Don't be surprised to be perplexed at what God is doing in your life. There's nothing wrong with you if you find God's guidance perplexing. Nothing wrong at all. There are times we simply don't know why the Lord is, and so don't be frustrated with it. What God is doing is he's saying, trust me, This is a challenge for us to grow in our faith. Now, I'm sure the Israelites who knew their geography might have scratched their heads and wondered, wait a minute, Canaan's up here. How come the Lord's leading us south and east when Canaan is north and west? What's going on here? This does not seem right. And sometimes we get just as confused simply because the Lord doesn't want us to know way down the future. He wants us by faith to step in the guidance that he's already given to us. So sometimes our perplexity is simply because we have finite minds, but often it can be because of faulty insight or foolish interpretations of his guidance. Let me tell you a story. Uh, One time my mom this is before she was married my mom was uh, very disappointed she was going home to spend Christmas with her uh, parents and she was on a plane and it stopped in Buffalo New York and they said uh, everybody has to get off and get alternative um, transportation because the wings had iced up and they were having a hard time getting it off so she dashed off got a bus ticket to go on the way to Flint, Michigan. And um, uh, after she got her ticket, they announced, hey, we've cleaned all the ice off. Everybody can get back onto the plane. And she, she, she was thinking, oh boy, I wish they had announced that before I had gotten my ticket. There wasn't any time for getting a redemption, getting back onto the airplane. So she took the bus which was a much longer trip than if she had been on the plane but when she got to her destination she discovered that the plane that she had been on iced up again and crashed and there were no survivors so this detour that may have been frustrating a little bit disappointing was actually a detour that God had put into her life for her good it saved her life and actually if you get her to tell the rest of the story it's rather interesting because uh, that was how she came to meet my, um, my father and how they got married. If it wasn't for that plane, maybe they never would have gotten married. So you'll have to ask her that story sometime. But even the physical detours that God brings into our lives, we need to be willing to thank him for by faith. We don't always discover the reason for God's detours like my uh, mom did. But we, by faith, because God's word cannot lie, we need to be able to say, thank you Lord thank you for bringing that detour into my life because uh, even though I've been slowed down last year and what I was wanting to go through this detour I know is for my good you can think of Joseph who was sold down into Egypt and I remember God had previously given unbelievably clear guidance to Joseph in two dreams that he was going to be the leader of his family, and everybody else was going to bow down to him. Crystal clear guidance, and all of a sudden, it seems like this guidance is not panning out because the brothers reject him. They stripped that multicolored coat off of him, and that coat represented his leadership, threw him in that pit. Later on, they sold him down to Egypt. When he was in Egypt, um, he rose through the ranks, but Potiphar's wife slandered him. He ends up in prison, and the prison he rises through the ranks The butler completely forgets about him. It would have been very easy for Joseph to think Satan is alive and well on planet earth and nothing's working together for my good. But he didn't say that. What he said was, yes, you're responsible for your sins. You intended this for evil. This is what he told his brothers. But God intended it for good. God was overruling even the sin of his brothers, working it together for his good and for the good of of his family. Every one of those detours was absolutely essential for God's beautiful story to work out. Now you could go back further in Joseph's story and you could see other detours that were used perfectly by God in that story. And I like to think of that cistern that he was thrown down into it was just a dry well. Think of the people who had probably spent two weeks or more digging that well trying to find water. Who knows? Maybe God even gave them guidance to dig there, and they're scratching their heads after two weeks, and it's a dry well. Why, Lord? And they maybe never did figure out why God would allow them to waste, quote-unquote, waste two weeks of their life on this fruitless enterprise. But we know in our lives nothing is fruitless. If it hadn't been for that dry well, Joseph may not have been alive. His brothers intended to kill him, but the one brother postponed by quickly saying, let's put him in this well, let's think of something else. If it hadn't been for that dry well, he may not have uh, been spared. And you could look at numerous other detours in Joseph's story that God put together for the good of the kingdom, for the glory of God, and for Joseph's good. In your life, the detour may be a sickness, or a financial setback, or a fall through on a house, or maybe something else. And by the way, guidance is not always a mystical sense of something. Uh, I've had that, and uh, it's wonderful when God gives that. But more often than not, it is simply His amazing orchestration of providence. I've had people come up to me, you know, after they hear a story of some rare occurrence, you know, of uh, God's mystical guidance in my life, and they say, I wish God would guide me. And I tell them, you know, God has been guiding you every day of your life because he is orchestrating every detail of your lives day by day. You just need to get used to seeing God's hand in your life, in everything. So that's the first point. See these frustrating detours as God's guidance in your life, not as the absence of his guidance. You are privileged to be guided by our awesome God. You must see those detours as part of his guidance. But there's a second thing that God wants us to know in this passage, and that is that God always has a good goal in mind for every circumstance that comes into your life. And here Moses spells out why God took them on this long, circuitous route. If you look at verse 17, he says, Lest, perhaps, the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So here's part of the reason stated negatively. God did not want this people to abandon their purpose through fear or through discouragement. He knew perfectly well how feeble and frail this people were. He knew that they wanted desperately to get to the promised land. He knew they weren't ready. They were not ready for that privilege. They needed preparation. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This detour was absolutely perfect for their frailty. If he had put them on one of the other routes, they would have faced war earlier, and they would not have been prepared. Later on, they are prepared for war, but they would not be prepared there. God never put the Israelites into a situation that they could not handle, and he never put the Israelites into a situation where they would be forced to sin. Okay, and you know what? God promises exactly the same thing for us. In 1 Corinthians 10:13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, when you think about that, that is an incredible, incredible promise. It guarantees that God controls your circumstances, your spouse, your children, your upbringing, your genetics, your finances. He controls every aspect of your life so well that he guarantees that you will be able to follow God's will if you so choose to do. You will never be put into a box from which you cannot escape. You just have to have eyes to see the ways of escape, to see God's hand of providence. Okay, there is a way of escape. That verse guarantees there will be no such thing as an ethical dilemma. You know, these um, ethicists, they're always coming up with all of these hypothetical dilemmas. So which choice do you take? And The way they've set it up, you have no choice but to sin. It's sin A or sin B. But God guarantees, no, that's never going to happen to you. And the reason I know it's never going to happen to you is because Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you are, and yet without sin. If he was tempted in every way, just like you are, and you have ethical dilemmas, he would have had ethical dilemmas, which would have involved him in sin. No, there are no ethical dilemmas for God's people. It is such an important doctrine. Anyway, this is a very encouraging verse to me, and this is why Paul exhorted us to not only be thankful in every circumstance, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.18, but to be thankful for every circumstance, that's Ephesians 5.20. Now you can argue with me all you want, but you're not going to be successful in arguing with God. Read it, Ephesians 5.20, be thankful for every circumstance. Circumstance. God Taylor makes every detail of your life. So let me ask you some questions. Have you thanked God yet, those of you who got the flu last week, for getting the flu? No? Why? God Taylor made that. That's a part of his guidance. That's a detour in your life, that's a slowdown. Have you thanked him for that? You need to. You need to. There was a good reason for that slowdown. Did you thank God yet? For the lemon car that you purchased two years ago? Or have you been nonstop grumbling and fussing about it? (laughs) Uh, I know I'm stepping on toes. Yep, you know about the lemon car back here, right? (laughs) So we need to see these things that God's allowed us to go through. And sometimes it's because of our foolish decision making, but. My father-in-law, you know, he's told me when I've had regrets about a decision. He said, "If you had the limited information today that you had back then, would you make the same decision?" I said, "Yeah, I probably would have." And he said, "Well, don't worry about it. God in His providence allows us to make decisions that lead to messes because we've had limited information. But that too is a part of His guidance. He doesn't excuse our sin, but at the same time, even with the fruits of that sin, we can say, Lord." Thank you for allowing me to have gone through this. I take responsibility. I take ownership for my foolishness. But I want to move forward knowing full well that what you have framed in my life right now is for my good. And it's for the advancement of your kingdom. We've got to be willing to do that. These detours are a gift of God and they are thankworthy. But there was a positive reason, actually multiple positive reasons for this detour as well... Negative aspect that we just looked at was that without the detour, they would have become feeble, fearful, and defeated. The first positive reason was that God was going to use this detour to turn them into a dependent people. He was going to make them dependent, developed, faith filled, disciplined group of uh, believers. First of all, God was seeking to make them dependent upon Him. Where did God lead them to go? Well, the text, if you know the geography of the area, it's not a very happy place, but the text simply says, through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Where was that? Well, this is what Deuteronomy 32.10 describes as a waste howling wilderness. I, I love that description, a waste howling wilderness. It was not a great place to go, And the fact that it was a waste-toweling wilderness meant that there were fewer people to meet up with, so that was going to fulfill the negative side. They weren't going to meet a lot of people for war. But it also developed a positive reason in their lives because it was going to force them to be dependent upon God for every day for their water. Where are we going to get water? Where are we going to get food? Where are we going to get clothing? Where are we going to get all of these things of life? You know, we are so wealthy in the West that that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is utterly meaningless to most Christians. They know where they're going to get I'm going to get it. Now it shouldn't be meaningless. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. You know God could take that away in an instant and you pray with a full heart, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Enable me to use the daily bread that you give to me. So it enables them to advance. But this lesson was so important to them because uh, they needed to develop that attitude so that when they became wealthy, when they inherited houses and land and all of these other things, they would still be dependent upon the Lord. They wouldn't have this idea, I can do it all on my own. We, we tend to look at dependency as weakness, and certainly dependence upon other humans can be a weakness. But Scripture says if we fail to depend upon God, we will ironically become weak, And powerless, and when we learn to depend upon Him for everything, ironically, we see His power working through us. So it was this dependent people who, 40 years later, were able to conquer the land of Canaan so that no one could stand before them. That's one of the lessons of these detours of life to cause us to look to Him for our day by day needs. Now, that's assuming, of course, you're responding to these lessons well. Otherwise, you have to keep relearning those lessons. So the first positive purpose is to make us dependent. The second positive purpose was to cause the muscles of their faith to grow. Now, it's to the discredit of these Israelites that the very first test that God gives to them in uh, chapter 14 led to their murmuring and grumbling. When they saw the Egyptian army gaining on them, they said to Moses in verse 12, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. But even though that was true initially, God gradually over a period of time strengthened their faith. Well, especially the faith of the second generation. You know, first generation gradually died off. And you will find yourself in situations where Satan's way looks much more attractive than God's way. Looks easier. And some of those times where God calls us to do something, it seems almost as suicidal as going into this waste howling wilderness. But God has tailor-made the situation to cause your faith to grow. If God had destroyed the Egyptians before he parted the Red Sea, there would have been no opportunity for faith to be challenged, to grow. And the same is true of numerous other challenges that some grumbled over. So it caused their faith to grow. Third, it caused them to enter into the experiences of God's grace in a fresh and new way. At the Red Sea, God's grace was seen in His mighty deliverance, and they would never be the same again. Chapter 14, verses 30 through 31 says this, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Sometimes God puts detours in our lives so that we will experience His power. And the reason for that is because we're not availing ourselves of His power when we don't have detours. See, we don't have to have detours brought into our lives if we're willing to walk in the Spirit. I'm convinced that Israel would have been able to go straight to the land of Canaan. Obviously, in God's providence and His eternal decrees, He's got everything ordered out. But they could have gone straight to the land of Canaan, If they'd been willing to walk in faith, walk in the Holy Spirit. Uh, um, But because they had not learned the lesson of detours, he kept detouring them over and over again. Remember that God is more interested in how you get there than in when you get there. And the sooner you learn to respond in faith, the better off you will be. Now the last aspect of God's goal is that God wanted to turn them into a disciplined and self-controlled people. He wanted them to be so trained, they'd be able to face any emergency head-on. Not in fear, but in a spirit of discipline and self-control. So you can kind of think of the wilderness as a boot camp for Israel. It was a boot camp where they were learning to be disciplined soldiers of Christ. At Prairie Bible Institute, um, you know, it's not the greatest school in some ways, but at Prairie Bible Institute where I studied in the 70s, one of the things I really, really, really appreciated about them was that they drilled into all of the students this importance of being disciplined soldiers of Christ. Discipline has become almost non-existent in the church of Jesus Christ today. Discipline in godliness, discipline in service, discipline in devotions, discipline in evangelism, church attendance, Bible reading, exercise, finance, diet, you name it, the church seems to lack discipline. Discipline. I think it's a very important topic that we need to, we we need to put ourselves through boot camp, put our children in boot camp so that they can learn to be disciplined soldiers of the cross. God put the Israelites in the wilderness to detour them to the place where they would be a disciplined people. And I think this is one of the reasons why I am convinced that the American church is due for a rude awakening because we are one of the softest and most undisciplined Churches, not our local church necessarily, but the church of Jesus Christ today, one of the most soft and undisciplined in the entire history of America. We're undisciplined, an incredibly undisciplined people. If you keep reading in Exodus, you will discover that as a result of this boot camp, the next generation of Jews actually became one of the most disciplined and faith-driven generations in the history of Israel. It was an incredible contrast between the first generation and the second generation. So don't think that the previous generation that has lacked faith, that has lacked courage, that has lacked penetration of society, that has lacked discipline, has to dictate where your generation goes. We can all learn from these lessons and make changes for ourselves at least. So those are the lessons of God's frustrating detours. And the more times you go through them successfully, the more your faith will grow. In fact, I'm convinced you'll get to the place where you get in a slowdown that's going to make you late for a meeting. Instead of getting all anxious and uptight, you're going to rejoice and say, Lord, I wonder what it is that you have for me on this flat tire that I've just gotten. I'm looking forward to see what you bring out. of In fact, even if you lose your job, you get fired from your job because you're late, you're going to be excited and say, okay, Lord, this was not under my control, and I'm just looking forward to what you have in this new chapter of my life you're going to look at it as God's perfect guidance. So no matter what your detour may be, start to look for God's hand in what He's doing in that detour. It may be when you got your flat tire and you forgot to put your crank up to change your own tire, that God wanted you to uh, be in that position so that you could witness to the uh, tow truck driver. Or it may be he just had you miss, you know, an accident that was a few miles up the road. Or maybe you never will find out. But by faith, you can be absolutely confident. I've got this flat tire for a good reason. And I'm going to thank God for this detour. Praise you, Lord. Praise you. You need to get used to seeing God's hand in every situation and looking for divine appointments, divine contacts, and divine opportunities. They are there for the taking. And I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, some of you have missed out on the divine opportunities that God has orchestrated in your life every week because you're so focused on yourself and your own disappointments that you don't have the eyes to see what God's doing in your life. He's given you fantastic opportunities. Say, okay, Lord, thank you. What is it you've got for me to do? Is there somebody you want me to talk to? Is there something you want me to adjust in my schedule? I trust you. This is a beautiful divine guidance in your life. You've got to begin to have that attitude. Week after week, as you come to the Lord's table, I would urge you to relinquish any frustrations that you have with the Lord. You know, when you kick the tire because it went flat, you're really kicking God because God gave you that flat tire. When you grumble over whatever it is you've grumbled over this past week, you're really grumbling against God. Read Exodus. Read Numbers. Read those chapters and see how God rebuked them. They might have thought, no, 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 I'm not grumbling against God. I'm just grumbling against these lousy circumstances. No, you're grumbling against God's providence. Brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to your heart. Some of you are grumblers. You're complainers. You're not people of faith. You do not have eyes to see your circumstances as God sees your circumstances. Thank him that He has providentially provided everything you need for your circumstances through the Father's plan, through what Jesus has purchased, and through the power of the Spirit, and with all of the resources He's given. And He's blessed you already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. With all of those resources, you can face those frustrating detours and say, no, they're not frustrating at all. I glory in God's hand in my life. May it be so of each of you. Amen. Father God, I thank you for this word. And I thank you that it came in the midst of a people who were about to grumble. Grumble over your perfect guidance. Grumbling over your perfect providences. What a rebuke it is, Father, to our own lives. And it's been a rebuke a number of times to my own life. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to grow up into you, to become mature, to be people of faith, people of joy, people who are not quickly shaken people who were not quickly discouraged, but people like that second generation who no matter how big the enemies in Canaan were, they were ready to lick them. They were ready to dive into the fray. Help us, Father, to be a people like this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.